And, and most of us know about David, how he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. We know that he was the greatest king that Israel ever had. He brought Israel united together and brought Israel in this time here uh, that, as we will see, continuing through 1 Samuel and then particularly when we get to 2 Samuel, when we see that he will go to the throne even though he's anointed king tonight. We see that that doesn't take place right away. But David, over time and in his reign over Israel, would bring the nation together. And the nation, in its history, uh, Israel would experience its greatest power, its greatest prosperity, um, its, its greatest prestige. And we know that his son Solomon, when he reigned, that the nation was very wealthy and the nation uh, had great wealth. But you see, a lot of that was because of David's blessings, because he had defeated the enemies, because of experiencing Solomon, really David's coattails, if you would. And so it was a very blessed time that David's going to lead the nation into. And when you go into 1 Kings and 2 Kings, which talks about those kings of Judah, as well as the kings in the ten northern tribes of Israel, and then First and Second Chronicles, which speaks specifically of the kings of Judah, all of those kings of Judah are compared to David, every single one of them. And, and they're lined up next to David, whether they had a heart like David, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord like David did, or whether they were disobedient. And the reason that they were lined up with David, because we're going to see a very important principle for any of us. Matter of fact, we're going to see some three main principles here tonight in this chapter, I believe, and how we can be, if you want to say, a successful Christian or really be used of the Lord. These three things, I think, need to be a part of our lives as we see was a part of David's life. And we know that, first of all, David had a heart after God. It doesn't mean that David didn't make mistakes or sin. Of course he sinned. Matter of fact, he sinned greatly, as we're going to see in 2 Samuel with Bathsheba, committing adultery, and he even committed murder. But David was one that he repented truly. And you can see his repentance there in the Psalms, and particularly in Psalm 51, after his sin with Bathsheba. He was one that was a worshiper. He was one that poured his heart out to God. And we can look at David's life, and we can see that he never bowed the knee to an idol. And that's why he was there, that standard that the other kings were lined up you know, with, because some of those other kings of Judah would come along and they had a tendency to bow the knee to idols, even Solomon, his son. So David really had a heart after God, and we're going to see that, and was used of the Lord mightily. So chapter 16, we read, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So if you've been with us in our study of 1 Samuel, or, or if you, you know, read this book, you know that Saul at this time has been rejected as the king of Israel. Saul, in chapter 13, he made that unlawful sacrifice. And so it was Samuel that came and said, What did you do, Saul? Well, you weren't coming. The Philistines are ready to attack. My men are scattering. So I did this sacrifice, the peace offerings and the burnt offerings. And it was 
of course, Samuel that said, you've sinned, Saul, because we know that only the priests were allowed to make those offerings. And it was Saul in that chapter that we really began to see his heart being revealed. He was making excuses. Well, it's your fault because you didn't come. It's the Philistines that are going to attack. And he was not repentive of what he had done. So in chapter 13, we saw that it was Samuel that said to Saul, the kingdom has been taken from you and it will be given to another that has a heart after God. And last week we saw in chapter 15 that it was Saul that was told by the Lord, go and destroy all the Amalekites. Do away with all of them, even their sheep and their cattle and and everything that they have for what they did to my people. And so it was Saul that went and attacked the Amalekites but he didn't destroy all the sheep and the cattle. He came back with the best of the sheep and the oxen. And then he brought back Agai, king of the Amalekites. And as we discussed last week, it was Saul that set up a monument for himself there on Mount Carmel. He, he wanted to be seen and noticed. So pride has crept into his heart. We know that he wanted to look good before the people. He was no longer giving glory to the Lord. And he comes back and Samuel would rebuke him and say, you did not perform the commandments of the Lord, even though Saul said that he did. Well, what's the the sounding of the sheep and the oxen in my ears? Well, the people brought them back. Again, he was blaming the people. And and they want to give these sheep and oxen for a sacrifice. He's trying to sound spiritual. And and also, he would go on to say, I brought Agai back as a trophy. He wanted to look good before the people. So once again, it was Samuel that came along and said, that the Lord has rejected you and is going to be given to another. So right now, as we read chapter 16, we have that background. And so Samuel, who has withdrawn himself from Saul and ministering to him, is, is right now mourning for Saul. And the Lord says, how long will you mourn for Saul? And, and I find that very intriguing. But I learned from this because it shows me how... Samuel really was a spiritual man, was a godly man. And if you and I want to be ones that are mature in the Lord, we're going to have this same kind of heart towards those that were being used of the Lord or have such potential of the Lord, but there's rebellion, perhaps pride that has crept into their lives. Maybe there's a hardness of heart, whatever it might be, and we mourn for them. We, we, we grieve for them. And over the years of ministry, and I've been in ministry for almost 20 years now, I have seen individuals that were being used of the Lord. And they really uh, had, were gifted and the, the Spirit of God was working through them. But all of a sudden, as they began to see what we would call success in ministry, just as Saul had success early on, he had victory in battle. And he was doing well. He was very capable. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. And he was giving glory to God, but all of a sudden he began to blow his own trumpet. And he wanted to be noticed, and he became prideful. And he was heart of heart and not really repenting of what he had done wrong, not really humbling himself before the Lord. And we're going to see that Saul, his heart is going to get harder, and his heart's going to be filled with jealousy and envy as we go on. And, and he's really on a spiral downturn spiritually as we look at his life and it's sad to see and here is samuel this godly man used of the lord who's mourning for him 
And I know that whenever that I see somebody who is used of the Lord and all of a sudden, for whatever reason it might be, pride or they get involved in sin or there's rebellion, they're not being used in a way that they could or should. I mourn. And we should mourn over that. Because really, Satan gets the victory in that. Oh, we have ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. But you see, Satan is going to do everything that he can to try to pull people, whoever it might be, you or me, if we're being used of the Lord and we're serving the Lord, he's going to try to get a foothold into our lives to try to keep us from serving the Lord. And he has many weapons in which to do that with. And that is when the Lord is blessing, aha, I want to see if they can become prideful try to build them up in their hearts or try to get a foothold with, with you know, uh, having people fall into sin or whatever it might be. And we need to be aware of that. So here is Samuel, really the spiritual man that's grieving for Saul. And because uh, Saul had the potential to be such a great king. And you remember that in chapter 9 that we saw at the end of that chapter that when it was Saul that was first told by Samuel that you are going to be the king of Israel because the nation has asked for a king. And it was Saul that was kind of perplexed by that, and he was very humble, and he's going, who am I that I should be king? That's essentially what he was saying. And it was at the end of chapter 9 that we saw that Saul was told you know, by Samuel, listen, I want to talk with you. And he told, Samuel told Saul's, Servant, why don't you go take a little hike? You know, go away for a few minutes because I want to talk privately here with Saul. And we don't know what it is that it was Samuel that told Saul in that private conversation. But with Samuel being a, a godly man, I bet that it was Samuel that said, Saul, listen, you got a great responsibility. And you need to be obedient to the Lord and honor the Lord in, in your position as king. And stay humble before the Lord. You know those were the things that Samuel was telling Saul. And it was Samuel that told the people that just because you're asking for a king doesn't mean that you stop walking in obedience. God still has this covenant with you. And I'm sure those things were passed along to Saul. And all of a sudden, he'd forgotten all those things. So time has passed. And Samuel's mourning for Saul because he is no longer going to be used of the Lord in the way that he could or should. And he's now to go to Bethlehem, that place that's not far from Jerusalem. It's interesting that Jerusalem is still in the hands of the Jebusites at this time. Do you know that? That when Joshua came into to the land and they began to conquer the land, one of those cities that they never conquered was Jerusalem. It's still in the hands of the Jebusites and still will be until David takes it over in 2 Samuel chapter 5, which is many years from now. But Bethlehem was very close to Jerusalem. So you're going to go to Bethlehem, and, and now, Samuel, we need to move on. We need to move on. And you're going to anoint a, a new king of Israel in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, where David would be raised and the place where Jesus would be born. And so Samuel, in verse 2, said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel knew that, that he was really kind of in danger to go to Bethlehem. If word gets back to Saul that I'm here to anoint a new king, he's going to have my head. He's going to see it as me being a traitor and coming against him. 
He knows, Samuel knows where Saul is headed. And Saul, we're going to see that he is anyone who's a threat to him and to his power and him being king, he's going to try to have them put to death, even when he has no reason to, to come against somebody. And, of course, he's going to come against David because of jealousy and envy. So Saul, he, he is very much hardened against the Lord. And, and here's Samuel, he's afraid. He knows that if Saul finds out, he's in big trouble, so he's afraid. And isn't it interesting that as we go through the Scriptures that great men of faith at times became afraid? And here is Samuel, this godly man, who spoke and storms came when he spoke that God sent, and yet he's afraid of Saul. And the Lord is saying, you need to go, and you need to do what I tell you to do. Don't worry about Saul. You go to the city, you have a sacrifice, you have a feast there, just as we saw would happen with Saul when he came to the city of Samuel. And there was a feast and a sacrifice, and Saul came, and it was there that he was told that he was going to be the first king of Israel. So you go to Bethlehem, and you sacrifice, and you have this feast, and you invite Jesse and his sons, and you're going to anoint the one that I'm going to show you to be the new king of Israel. So God telling Samuel to go to Bethlehem, and there you're going to do this. So verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Samuel obeys the Lord. He goes to Bethlehem to sacrifice. He set aside Jesse and his sons. And now we're going to see that, that Samuel, he's going to have Jesse's sons pass in front of him. He doesn't know which son he's to anoint as the king. Now, isn't it interesting that when he does go to Bethlehem here, the reaction of the people, they're afraid of Samuel. Now, why would they be afraid of Samuel? Because we saw in chapter 12 that it was Samuel, again, as he was rebuking the people for asking for a king, hey, the Lord really wanted to be your king. You're Israel, governed by God. And he has provided for you. He brought you out of Egypt. He, he brought you through the wilderness. He drove out the Canaanites. He gave you this land. And you want to put your trust in a man? So Samuel was in a way, rebuking the people in chapter 12 for asking for a king, but you're going to get a king, and this is what the king's going to do. He's going to take from you, and he's going to take your sons and your daughters and the best of the land and your oxen, and you're going to have to pay taxes to him. But Samuel, as he was speaking, then all of a sudden a thunderstorm came during their wheat harvest and wiped out the wheat harvest. And so these guys see Samuel coming to town, and they're going, uh-oh, are we in trouble I mean, is there going to be some kind of judgment? It's kind of like in school, when we were in school in junior high, when we saw the principal walking down the hallway. You know, you're kind of going, I remember being in fifth grade, and I was minding my own business at my desk, you know, and we're going to start a new subject, and the principal walked in, and there's the teacher and the principal kind of pointing at me over there, and I'm thinking, God, are they pointing at me? And, and I was in trouble. So whenever I saw the principal... <laughs> I really didn't do anything, so <laughs> the, the little girl that said I pushed her down, it really wasn't true, so. <laughs> but whenever I saw him, I tremble. I got scared, or if you have a, you know, a police officer, you know, kind of 
pull in behind you, you, you think, uh-oh. So that's what they're thinking. Is, is, is Samuel here? You come peaceably, and if we've done something wrong, he says, I've come peaceably. We're going to have a, a feast and a sacrifice. And so he sets Jesse's sons aside as they come to this feast, to this sacrifice. In verse 6, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely he's the Lord's anointed is before him. And so Eliab is the eldest of the sons, and he, he must be the Lord's anointed as Samuel would look at him. He, he looks like a king. He, he must have looked strong. He seemed to be intelligent. There was something that really impressed Samuel with his outward appearance. But verse 7 is a verse that we all want to take heart and we all want to, to know. Because the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think the first principle that we see here, the first truth that we see in this chapter, one of the reasons why David was used of the Lord is because he did have a heart after God. We're going to see that David is going to be anointed the king. Most of you know the story. But you see, Samuel here, you think he's a godly man. He should have known better. Samuel, didn't we just go through this with Saul? Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He came from a wealthy family. He, he seemed to really have it together. He was so capable. But did you ever notice that when we went over that text where Saul was called to be the king of Israel, nothing was said about his heart. He didn't have a heart for the Lord. And sometimes people know, they've asked me this a few people before. They said, when we looked at Saul's life, it seemed like the Lord was really hard on Saul. I mean, so he, he sacrificed some burnt offerings and some peace offerings. I can kind of understand. I mean, he was waiting for Samuel. He didn't show up when he was supposed to. And, and the armies of the Philistines are really uh, mounting their troops to attack Israel. The, the men that are with Saul are so afraid they're scattering. I can see why he was doing that. He was trying to, to sacrifice and seek the Lord before he went to battle. What's so wrong with that? And he killed most of the Amalekites. So he brought back a guy, king of the Amalekites. What's such the big deal? And he brought back some of the best of the sheep and the oxen. He did 90% of what God wanted him to do. And we can look at that and we can think, well, you know, there's, there's mostly obedience, partial obedience, but partial obedience, as we discussed last week, is equal to disobedience. David, he sinned. He sinned greatly. He murdered. He committed adultery. We're going to see that David had a problem with lying. We're going to see that David, he didn't discipline his children, but yet he was used so mightily of the Lord. What was the difference? See, David really repented. And you know what the big difference that I think between Saul and David was? Saul never wrote a psalm. And as you go through the books of Psalms, you never see one psalm that Saul wrote to the Lord. David did. Because they had a heart for the Lord. Samuel, we've been through this. And Samuel, he falls prey to just looking at the physical stature and how intelligent he was and, and how capable he was. And you see, that's so much of the world. Here's the thing that you and I need to understand in God's economy, in God's kingdom, that that's secondary. And we are told in, in our world and in our lives, and, and it's just the way it is, that 
you got to have all the training and all the external, you know, appearance and how we dress and how you present yourself and and all these other things. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to being used of the Lord, the priority is your heart. There's nothing wrong with having schooling. There's nothing wrong with seminary, I tell young guys. There's nothing wrong with having training. But none of that is going to mean much if you don't have a heart of devotion and love to the Lord. And the number one priority for any of us that want to be used of the Lord to really be successful in our walk with the Lord is you have a love for Him. And David did. And devotion to the Lord. You don't look at others. When, we, when, we, when I look at somebody, you know, that... that you know, for really wants to be involved in ministry. When I have young guys or whatever say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I want to be in ministry. The first thing that I try to encourage them is develop your devotion to the Lord more than anything. And verse 7 here is a very important verse because as I talked to you guys a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, as the church grows and we're looking at adding staff and if we bring somebody on to help full-time with the youth and with worship... This is the number one quality. I don't care how much schooling they had, how capable they are, but do they have a love for the Lord and a love for people? Are they humble before the Lord? And you see, God is the one that sees the heart, but I think that we can see that in people's lives because as I discussed on Sunday, what is in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. Somebody who has a heart for the Lord. And here is God saying to, 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 to Samuel, listen, don't look at the physical statue. That, that's the world's way. But I see a man and what's in his heart because I look at the heart. Don't look at the outward appearance. And so a very important lesson for us. And, and for us, as we desire to, to look for somebody, to minister to our young people, it's somebody who needs to have a heart for God, who loves people, who, who's just desiring to humbly serve the Lord in what God has called them to do. And for any of us who desire to be used of the Lord, this is the first quality, this is the priority right here, verse 7. I am so thankful that God does choose the foolish and weak things of the world to confound the wise, put down the strong, and the things that are not to bring the not to things that are, that no man can glory in his presence, because that gives me hope. But I do know this, that God requires that individual, any of us, to have a heart for him, and to love him, and to love people, and have that servant's heart, and just be humble before the Lord. And these are the things that we're going to see in David's life. So here is you know, Samuel, he's, he's looking, surely this is the Lord's anointed. No, it isn't. I've refused him, for the Lord does not see as a man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And so seven of his sons passed by, 
And Samuel's kind of scratching his head, and he's thinking, okay, uh, you know, do you have any more sons? The Lord hasn't chosen any of these, as we read in verse 11. Are all these young men here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Uh, I have one son left. He's out there with the sheep. Somebody's got to be watching the sheep. He was overlooked by his own dad. He doesn't even mention his name. So there's the one out there in the field. He's the youngest. I didn't think he would ever be king. You know, he's out there with the sheep. We don't need to invite David, do we? But David is out there with the sheep. And he's going to be used of the Lord because he had a heart for God. The second principle, as we see, is first of all, having a heart for God, but then letting God prepare you for what he has for you, the work that he wants to do through you. David's out there with the sheep. What great training. David was a shepherd, and the Lord's going to say, okay, David, now you're going to be the shepherd of my people. And as David is out there in the field, he's praising the Lord. I, I can just imagine him as he's out there days and at the nights, and he's watching the sheep, and he's, he just learned to worship the Lord. He was one that he would guard the sheep. He shepherded the sheep. It was good training for a king, the king of Israel, to be the shepherd of God's sheep. But David was faithful in the little things. He was faithful in the little things. And this is one of the things that I tell people that want to serve the Lord. Just be faithful in little things. I read um, a quote from somebody. I can't remember exactly who it was. It was from Moody or A.W. Tozer. But he said something like this. That many people say that they want to do great things for God. But how about little things for God? And we need to learn to, all of us, just be faithful in where God has us. And be faithful in those little things. And allow the Lord to prepare you for what he has for you. And, and I see that in Scripture. In Leviticus, when it came to the priests, chapter 8, there was that preparation. Chapter 9, there was that presentation for ministry. And perhaps you're here tonight and you want to be used of the Lord, but, but you're thinking, Lord, it isn't happening in the way that I thought or as fast. Maybe the Lord is just preparing you and working through you. But you be faithful where God has you and opportunities that he's given to you and just allow him to do that work. Look at Moses. Moses was what? Herding sheep for 40 years. On the backside of the desert, it wasn't even his own sheep. When the Lord called him and said, now I want you to go to Pharaoh. And now I want you to lead my people out of Egypt, out here into the wilderness. And you see, when you really examine Exodus, as well as the text there in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, Moses was one that, that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. In other words, it is believed by historians that Moses was next in line to be Pharaoh after Pharaoh died at the time Moses was there living in the palaces of Egypt. He was learning all the wisdom and works of Egypt, and he refused that. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh but rather he chose to suffer affliction with his brethren rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of Egypt. Pretty incredible statement there in Hebrews chapter 11. So here's Moses, 
next in line to be the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he says, I am not going to enjoy the passing pleasures. Remember that about the world. It's passing. And about sin. It's passing. I want to suffer affliction with my brethren. He saw himself as the leader then, after 40 years, his first 40 years. He saw himself, I'm going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And you recall that it was Moses that was breaking that fight up with those two Hebrew men that were fighting. And it was one of them that said, hey, who made you a judge over us? In other words, we've heard that you want to judge us. You want to be ruling over us. Who made you? Are you self-appointed? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses would take off to the wilderness. And do you realize it took 40 years for God to get all of that pride and self-assurance and self-reliance out of Moses? 40 years to where he became the most humble man on the face of the earth. It was Paul the Apostle course known as Saul when he was on the road to Damascus he got saved and it was for years before Paul went on his first missionary journey that that God was preparing him he was ministering and the people weren't receiving him matter of fact he went into the synagogue there in Damascus after he got saved he's preaching Christ and him crucified and all of a sudden you know the the Jews they were impressed with him but they wanted to kill him so he goes to Jerusalem. The apostles are holding him out at arm's length. We're not so sure about Saul of Tarsus here. He persecuted the Christians, so they sent him away. And he was away, really not heard of, for about the next 10 years. And you know what he was doing? He was learning to make tents. He had lost his religious prestige, reputation, his wealth, everything. He was going to have to learn to make a living on his own, so he learned to make tents till finally Barnabas went and got him and said, hey, revival was breaking out in the Gentiles. Why don't you come along? And then God used him mightily. But for those years, God was teaching him and preparing him. One thing that I've learned, that God's not in a hurry in preparing us for what he wants for us. So if you're here tonight and you feel like, I know God's got something for me, just Continue to pray and just be in that place where you're being faithful in the little things. That's what David was doing. He's out there with the sheep. And God sees you and he knows that you're there. And if he has a plan for you, which he does, because he has something for every single one of us, he's going to get you there. And he's going to prepare you for that. So here is David. Go get him. We, I am not coming back until you know you go get that that last son of yours, so verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So we see that, that here is David being anointed as the next king. Now, the text is kind of interesting. In this chapter, it doesn't say that Jesse came or Samuel came and told Jesse, I'm here to anoint the new king. He consecrated his sons. The anointing of oil makes it pretty obvious. They know something's going on here, maybe not understanding all of the implication. It is also interesting, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that ancient rabbis would teach and, and taught that as Samuel anointed David, that he leaned over to David and whispered in his ear, David, you're the next king of Israel. But we don't know. The text doesn't tell us that. The scriptures don't. 
But I think that as we look at this, that anointing of oil, of course, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. So the third principle here is we need to rely on the Lord. And whatever he's called us to do, not to try to do it in our own energy, in our own flesh, and we know that we need to help with the Holy Spirit. And so here is David being anointed as the new king of Israel. And so Samuel would then leave. In verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. So sometimes people are a little bit perplexed by this text. They're saying, Why would God send a distressing spirit, you know, and, and trouble um, Saul here? Well, we know that the spirit of God had left Saul as we read in the, in the previous chapter, a couple of chapters ago. And now Saul is in a heart of rebellion. And I think that as I, I look at this, that it opened up for a distressing spirit to come upon him. And, and, and that's what's happening here. So this distressing spirit. But I want to bring it home a little bit closer for you and for I, because as believers, we have the Holy Spirit that is in us. The New Testament is very... Very, very clear about that. As 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But one of the things that we need to understand as Christians, that if we are in rebellion in any area of our lives, if we are hardening our hearts towards the things of the Lord, distress will come. And we do not want to open ourselves up to the enemy getting a foothold into our lives. We do have the Spirit of God in us to help us to live in godliness in the way that God wants us to. But if we are in rebellion against God in any way, if we harden our hearts and we're not going to listen to Him, distress is going to come. You're not going to experience that is the joy of the Lord in the way that you could. You're not going to experience the peace of the Lord as you're walking closely with Him if your heart isn't soft towards Him. So here's this distressing spirit that's, that's coming upon Saul. And, and so verse 16, Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. And a solution is suggested. Seek out one who is skilled in playing. Music, worship, is a very powerful tool to bring comfort to us. That's why worship should be a very important part of our Christian lives. True worship is important because it uplifts, it, it, it comforts. David was one that was a worshiper, not just because he played well, but you read his psalms and he's pouring his heart out to the Lord. He worshiped the Lord and it was very much an important part of his life. But we are to be thankful for those who can help us in worshiping. And worshiping is not just as we sing songs. Yes, what a blessing it is as we come and we sing songs to the Lord. And I hope that we participated in it and we're really lifting our hearts to the Lord. But worship a lot of times is an attitude of heart during our day. Are we thankful to the Lord? Are we worshiping the Lord? And it will bring comfort and peace to your heart as you do that. And so verse 18 
Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. So look at all these qualities spoken of of David, and I think these are good qualities for for one who perhaps is a worship leader or anybody who desires to be used of the Lord in any area of ministry. First of all, he was skilled. David was skilled in playing. And, and for us, as God gifts us in those areas, we are going to grow in those areas. We're going to grow. If he's given you the gift of teaching, grow in those areas. And, and, and God's going to, to do that work in you as you just look to him. Second of all, he's a man of war, a mighty man of valor. If, if you're involved in ministry, if you're involved in worship, there is a spiritual battle out there that you're going to be engaged in. Just know that. Just know that. Because the enemy isn't going to be happy if any of us being used of the Lord. Thirdly, prudent in speech. That was David. He knew when to speak and when to be quiet. And we need to be prudent in speech. There's a lot that is said about how you and I as Christians are to speak. Words of edification. Words of godly wisdom. Words that are going to encourage and bring correction to people. We see, fourthly, a handsome person. That disqualifies me, so still looking for that. So, But I think as we look at this, we want to be careful that we don't draw attention to ourselves. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves as God is using this in whatever capacity that might mean. We want to always give glory to the Lord. And so here are these qualities, and then the Lord is with them. That is, he's called to that ministry And one of the things that I always want to encourage you in is be used of the Lord in whatever he has for you. To really just plant yourself in his calling in your life and trust in him and humbly serve him and let him grow you in that area of ministry. In verse 19, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. There was something, this is interesting in verse 21, that David loved Saul. There was something that David looked up to Saul and became his armor-bearer. That is, it, it, it was a place of trust. In verse 22, then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he's found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it in his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So at this time, David has favor in the sight of Saul, and how that is going to change so quickly here. Because Saul's going to become jealous and envious of David. So the anointing of David, and we're going to learn much from him as we look at his life, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Father, thank you so much for this chapter that we went through. And and Lord, just the lessons that are here, the principles that we have here for us to just be doing well in our walk with you, to be used of you, Lord. And Father, I do pray that, that all of us would have a heart for you, number one. And then second of all, wherever you have us planted, wherever we're at, young or old or whatever it might be, that, Lord, we know that we can please you 
in our walk with you and being used of you. We can pray. We can encourage others. We can, whatever calling that perhaps you put on our lives and on our hearts. And Lord, that thirdly, that we would just walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we can't.